Welcome to Mutterings from a Bald Guy podcast. My name is Chet, your host. You will find sermons and teachings that put Scripture in its rightful place of authority on this podcast. If you like this episode or any, could you tap five stars and leave me a review? When you tap those stars and leave a review, that significantly helps me spread more salt in a morally decaying world. Hey, let's bring life to the dead together. We have all kind of noises happening this morning, and some of them are my fault. Sorry about that beeping up there, guys. I'll fix that at the church. I hear that beef, I'm like, yep, that was my fault. Um, hey, look, I have a few more things to mention to you guys. Starting next week, we're going to have a little different avenue for the announcements. Um, you're going to start to see some new faces on the screen. So I'm not going to tell you too much about that because I want you to be a little surprised when it happens. But it's going to be much better than you hearing announcements from me every week. And so we're going to get that started. So if you get a text or a phone call from someone and they say, hey, would you like to take a video of yourself and do announcements? Your response is, you know, that really makes me feel uncomfortable, but yes, I'll do it for the Lord, okay? (laughs) I will do it for the Lord. And uh, I I just want to thank you, Lane. I appreciate you, brother, getting the scripture together. And I've just been enjoying having the scripture reading during the worship service, doing a great job with that, man. Appreciate you. So just a quick update on Wednesday. We spoiled a few of our police officers, we prayed for them, and then we walked in the community and prayed for our community. And let me tell you, it was amazing. Um, We had a load of people show up with some bright green shirts, and we stuck it out in the heat. I mean, every one of us had a bead of sweat down our back. You know, we were, it was humid, it was hard to breathe, but we were out there and we were doing it for Jesus. And so it was a great time. I know that the police department was appreciative, of course, and we wanted them to know that we love them. Thank you to everyone that donated and gave. We, I mean, we loaded up their table full of stuff. We had some really cool gifts and gift bags for them. So that's because of you. Discover BBC is next week at 1145. So if you're new or you've been coming for a while and you want to know more about the church, you have any questions, what it means to be a member, what does it mean to serve, what does it mean, what does just attending mean, what are your beliefs? You know, we go over all these things over some good Subway sandwiches because, you know, there's not that many options in Clarksville. And so we keep it semi-healthy. So we're going to have a good time doing that. If you are wanting to come and you do need childcare, I will need to know. But I think this Friday is the deadline. And so make sure that you let me know on that. Lake Fest. So instead of doing Missions in Motion this Wednesday, it's going to be Saturday. And I have a sign-up sheet in the back. Or if you would rather, raise your hand, Angie. Angie Williamson right here. If you text her, let her know. Most of you have my number if you need to know her number. Or you can just, as you walk out, sign up. It's one-hour time slots, and I think it's four or five hours total. 11 to 4, right? 10 to 4. So, okay, so I committed to six hours. Wow, I didn't realize that. (laughs) I may need to protect my bald head on that day because this could be pretty hot. But hey, look, we're just asking you guys to sign up for one-hour time slots, and what we're going to be doing is, um, if I remember correctly, one person's going to be at the tent, and you're going to have two people walking the wagon, passing out water. The cool thing is, is we have some Buffalo Baptist Church koozies that we're going to be handing out. So in the event that they're in a rush and you can't talk to them or, you know, have a conversation, here's a koozie. Check out the website, all right? So uh, this is a good mission opportunity. Hey, guys, look, look. Let me remind us of something. Lake Fest is a mission opportunity brought to us. So what's happening is it's it's huge. You guys know that. You've been here your whole, most of you have been here your whole lives. 
This is an opportunity that we can't pass up as a church because thousands of people will be here that day. And so that's a great opportunity for us to meet them where they are. And it's only an hour of your day and the rest of your day can be with family and friends and that sort of thing. Two more things and I'm done and we get into the message. Um, You have nursing home cards today, right? Okay. If you would, part of our mission's emphasis this this month in two weeks... We're going to the nursing home, and Angie has made up some cards. And so what we'd like to do is just get as many signatures as we can. Many of these people, as you know, have been in there for a long time, and some of them don't see family. Some of them have family in town, and they still don't see family. I've been doing ministry for a long time, and it's unfortunate that sometimes the pastor sees people more than their family sees them. That's just the truth, the nature of the beast of what happens, and families break apart in our world, world today. So what we want to do is we want to let them know and the workers there know that we love them and we're praying for them. So these cards are part of that. So again, two things, sign up for Lake Fest and sign a card. All right, you got that? So what's the first thing? Sign up for Lake Fest. Second thing, sign a card. All right, two things to sign for this morning. Hey, I'm so grateful for you. Let's get started. So what is prominence? Think of the definition of the word prominence, prominent, right? Prominence is something that you need to know. It's something important. It's something vital. It's something that goes before the rest. For example, it is prominent that you know where the bathroom is after you eat spicy Mexican food. (laughs) It is prominent that you know where the bathroom is after you eat spicy Cajun food as well. It's prominent. It's important. In other words, what should come first and foremost? Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Acts 6, 1 through 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through 2 to begin with. And as you turn there, I would just like to recap of what's been happening in Acts so far. So the theme of the first six chapters is the word of God is spreading. The word of God is spreading. The signs and the wonders and all of God's promises coming true are spreading in the known world. And in a sense, God is turning the world upside down, and especially his own people. Their view of Judaism, their view of the traditional religious structure that they've known their whole life, God is turning it upside down and his promises are coming true. Some people love it, some people hate it. And so what we're going to do, what we're going to see today is that oftentimes when the word of God is being preached, those who hate it will oftentimes be transformed the more they hear it because God's word is living and active. So Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle these financial matters. So the first thing we see, a complaint arose. A complaint arose. Now, these widows needed to get the pastoral and practical care they deserved. I think we can all agree this is legitimate. Everyone needs to eat. And let me remind you, in this day and age, women did not have a voice like women have today. They were dependent upon their husbands, 
or their fathers or their father-in-laws to make sure that they were well taken care of, meaning well taken care of, meaning food, shelter, and clothing, necessities of life. And so it was much different during this time. It wasn't like today, but then they needed help to get food, especially widows who had no man in their life to give them food, shelter, and clothing. Now, verse 1, this is the first time disciples is used to describe those who believe. Disciples are no longer in Acts or in the New Testament church. Disciples is no longer um, written for the 12 apostles. Disciples now are for those who believe. Not only for those who believe, but who are obedient to the faith and deed. So when you see the word disciple from now on, a disciple references a person who has faith and a person who acts upon that faith. It's not just someone who sits back and says, I believe. It's someone who believes and has faith and their actions line up. They have a Christian lifestyle. They have a faith lifestyle. Now, of course, we know that feeding the widows is honoring God. So one group in the church was experiencing discrimination. By the way, that, is, that needs to be dealt with, okay? And I think what we'll see through this is the apostles came up with a creative way to take care of the need and still focus upon the preaching of the word, which is what they were called to do. So there were two groups of Jews, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. Let me break this down. In this passage, this is what we're talking about. The Hellenistic Jews were the ones who were local, they were the ones who knew others in the synagogue. They worshiped in the local town. They were the in crowd. The Hebraic Jews were the new people. The new Jews who came probably from dispersion, they probably moved back into the city and now they were worshiping. Not many people knew them. They had a different dialect. It was a little different. They were not part of the in crowd. So you had the Hellenistic Jews who were local and the Hebraic Jews who were not local. The Hebraic Jewish widows were the ones who complained that they were not getting the food that they needed. More importantly, it was probably others who knew them. The scripture doesn't suggest it was the actual widows complaining. We just know that it was a legitimate complaint that rose up enough to catch the attention of the apostles in the ministry. But I believe they handled it with grace and wisdom, even though their leadership was challenged. You know, you know, that's not a good feeling when someone challenges you, right? Can we all be honest? Some of us in here handle it better than others, but it, it just, it ain't a good feeling when someone comes up to you and says, you ain't doing the right thing. You're not doing your job right, right? It don't feel good when that happens, but I think the apostles did something here we can learn from. Listen, leadership has its valleys and mountains. However, no matter the cost God's desire for his people should always come before the leader's personal preference. Amen? Amen. Y'all know y'all want to say amen louder than that. Amen. amen. <laughs> but these are also some other truths, and I think we can resonate with this because we know it's true. Someone will always think they know better than the leader. Someone will always think they can do a better job even though they've never been there. Someone will always think it's best to find another leader because their personal needs are not met. No matter what others think, I want you to see this definition. This is what a godly leader seeks. This is from Dr. Adam Hughes. Biblical leadership includes the process of finding God's goal for a specific group of people 
instilling that goal in them, equipping them to grow in Christ-likeness and to fulfill the goal, and empowering them to serve God's eternal kingdom along with you. That's the definition of a biblical leader. A biblical leader is one that finds solutions no matter how great the problem. A biblical leader is someone that serves alongside you and doesn't tell you what to do, but does it with you. That's a biblical leader. That's a servant leader. Look at what Jesus did. He led by example his whole life. Even to the cross, he says, you are to follow me to your torture device. Isn't that interesting? Now, this neglect of a certain group of the people was potentially divisive. That's obvious. But do you notice the legitimacy of their complaint? It was not about their opinions or preferences. It was about food. They needed to eat. This was a big deal. Nonetheless, I think it's important to point out this, that such grumbling and complaining is actually condemned in Scripture. There's actually a biblical way to handle these things instead of complaining. See, because it is seen as a complaint against God's gracious and providential care for his people, what's the solution? Prayer and humble sharing of concern with others. Humble sharing of concern with others. If we are truly concerned about a people or a situation, if we're truly, genuinely concerned, we won't complain. We'll humbly share and humbly find a solution. Amen? See, what happens is when we complain, what we're doing is we're, we're adding fuel to the already little fire. And we make things worse. See, we think we're helping because we feel better about ourselves when we complain. But in actuality, we're making things worse because complaining is like a toxic cancer that spreads. When I was in high school football, we used to have what we call cancer. And it was those teammates who would complain when we did suicides. It was those teammates that would complain when coach said, put your helmets on, we're going one-on-one. -on -one from the 20-yard line, 20 yards apart, and hit each other as fast as you can. The cancer were those who were sitting in the weight room saying, I can't lift this weight. It's too heavy. I don't want to max this week. My arms hurt. My knee's been bothering me. I don't know if I can do squats. And you know what happened when they would say things like that? Other people chimed in. Yeah, you know, my knee kind of hurts too. I don't really feel like doing it. Oh, you know, those suicides, man, I vomited last week. I really don't feel like I need to do that again this week. It's a cancer. So when we as God's people complain, we are actually being a divisive, destructive, demolishing cancer in the body of God. What's the solution? Prayer and humbly sharing our concern with others. I.e., humbly sharing our concern with people who can make a difference. See, the earliest Christians desired to follow and honor God by taking care of the widows. They wanted to do this. This was a desire. That the proof of this was their obedience to God and the Holy Spirit. At the same moment, the apostles recognized their God-given responsibility to preach the word. Turn to somebody and say, the apostles needed to preach. I think we can learn from the creative and humble way that the church handled this situation. It was creative. There's no doubt it was creative. They were flexible and willing to change on the spot to meet the needs and keep the word of God preached. 
It's not that the preaching was more important than feeding the widows or the widows was more important than the preaching. It's the fact that there's a solution to both being met. There is. There's always a solution. Whenever there's a problem that arises in the church, my answer is yes, where's it at? Where's the solution? Because there's, there's always a solution. It depends on our perspective. It depends on our love for the people. It depends on what's important and what we deem to be important in the Holy Scripture. Imagine with me, you're the apostles. You've been breaking your back in the ministry. I mean, breaking your back. You've been preaching. You've been teaching. You've been staying up late feeding. You've been passing out food to the community. You've been evangelizing on the street corner. You are just worn down. And all you want is a little encouragement. All you want is someone to come up and say, you're doing a good job, apostle. God's with you. That's all you want. And then what happens? A complaint arose that challenged the very thing they were working so hard to accomplish. But did we see the apostles go, I can't believe my feelings are hurt. My feelings are hurt. I just, I got to lash back. You know what? Take all those Hebraic Jews and throw them out. No, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They humbly found a solution. They handled it in the most loving fashion possible. But the hard part wasn't over because they had to get the church on board. They knew what the mission was. They knew what the vision was. They knew what the solution was. But they had to get the church on board because they needed the church's encouragement and support in this endeavor because they can't do it all alone. So what happens next? Acts 6, 3 through 6. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. What do we see next? Seven godly men arose. Seven godly men arose. So what were the characteristics of these men? If you look in the scripture, the scripture gives us important characteristics that they looked for, that the apostles looked for among the congregation. The first one is good reputation. Good reputation. You know what it means in the scripture when Paul writes to be above reproach? You know what that means? I want to give you a word picture here, and it's, it's going to take the person next to you, okay? So just bear with me. What I want you to do is turn to the person next to you or in front of you. All right, if y'all feel uncomfortable about touching, just don't touch each other, okay? It's just a word picture. Calm down. Y'all getting nervous already. I can feel it. Y'all like, who's going to touch me? Don't touch me. I'm not a touchy person. To be above reproach means that no one can grab on to anything. No one can grab on to your shirt and pull you back. It's a word picture of... The person is blameless. There's no bar behind them. There's no grappling hook where you can grab onto them and pull them back. A person above reproach has no way of grabbing. Their backs are slick and their, their shirt is tight and no one can grab them and pull them back because their character is above reproach. So if you would, in front of you, just imagine yourself, just put your hands out in front of you and do like this. Don't actually touch the person. 
They're above reproach. Say it with me. You are above reproach. <laughs> so good reputation is part of being above reproach. So let, let me ask you, it would be difficult for a man with a bad reputation to lead a ministry. Think about it. If I had a reputation of going to the bar and kicking back some drinks, would it be difficult to follow me? Some of you would probably say, no, it wouldn't. But that's okay, most of you, all right? If I had a reputation of going to the bar and drinking some drinks, and then after I drank some drinks, I had a reputation of driving my kids around, and then after driving my kids around, I had a reputation of, of slurring bad words to people in the community, degrading my wife in front of other people, it would be hard to follow me. Because if I were to drink some drinks, that's exactly what would happen which is why I recoil from it like a hot flame. So, or I had an abusive leadership style. Or if I was a micromanager. Or if every time somebody did something I didn't like, I pointed it out in the pulpit. It would be hard for you to follow. Follow what? The word of God being preached with authority on Sunday morning. My character matters. Your character matters. Second thing, full of the spirit. Everything these men touched, God blessed. They were full of the spirit. They had the fruits of the spirit. They were blessed by the spirit. When they talked to people, they experienced the spirit. Because they were full of it. Full of the spirit, that is. Thirdly, wisdom. Wisdom. See, to have wisdom is to have discretion and fear. Discretion and fear. One with wisdom fears God and makes decisions based on their submission to Christ. One with wisdom fears God and makes decisions based on their submission to Christ. Now, this ministry of caring for the widows was a pastoral and practical ministry. The church was pleased with the apostles' decision because they recognized it as the will of God. When a leader loves his church and the church loves its leader, there's a mutual unity. If the leader is acting in a biblical, loving, caring way for his flock, the church will in turn more than likely trust God's vision and are willing to try the direction that the pastor is going. Why did these men need to have these characteristics? Because they were going to be leading a ministry where people were vulnerable, desperate, who needed lots of care and concern and compassion. These men needed to be men willing to seek the Spirit and the Lord's vision and mission over the ministry because the apostles' goal was not to say, hey, lead this ministry and then I'll watch over you. The apostles' goal was, hey, we're charging you with this ministry and our hands are off. You follow the Lord and take care of this ministry. Now, what we will find out is a few of those same men end up preaching the word later and end up going out and, and being great evangelists. But this was the start of their ministry to take care of the, 
the widows. Now, the men were selecting, and the problem was solved. So what was the result of this unity? Turn to somebody and say, what was the result of this unity? Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied, multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. <clears throat> Number three, preaching and disciples arose. Preaching and disciples arose in verse seven. Okay, in your text, you may see the preaching about God flourished or the word of God grew. All this means is that the word of God was expanding and the believers that believed in the word of God was also expanding. What do we see? A simple solution. When the word of God grows, the number of people who believe grow. And how does the word of God grow? By the proclamation and the preaching of it. Everybody look around right now. Just do a 360. Look around. 3 years ago, this whole section would be empty. There's probably like 7 or 8 pews empty on this side. You know, and, and this is not an attestment to me. I, I hope y'all know this by now. What it is, is it's an attestment to the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God in a dark and perverse generation. That's the result. Because people are craving to hear the truth. People are craving and want hope and peace. And the word of God is the only thing that can give it. In the Bible, the Word of God is viewed as a significant force reaching into people's lives and transforming situations according to the will of God. Transforming situations. Did you know that? Did you know that the Word of God not only transforms us, but changes situations? Anybody in here ever had a perspective change? Where you woke up one morning and you thought, okay, I'm seeing things differently. And my whole world has just changed, right? That happened to me when most of my kids got out of diapers. <laughs> see, the word of God transforms us, and in effect, it transforms everything in the world that we see. See, when I look on the news media and I see riots, when I look on the news media and I see hatred, I, I, I can't get angry. I have not gotten angry. You know why? Because I see a ripe harvest. Come on now. I see a ripe harvest. Because the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God will meet the need of those people who are crying out desperately for hope. Every time. And it's up to you to say it. And it may even mean getting out of your comfortable zone a little bit and not saying a bunch of churchy words and just loving on some people who are in sin. Wait, preacher, you mean you don't just walk up to them and bang them on the head with the Bible? How dare you? The wrath of God is upon you. No, but you know what? When we walk up to someone and we start saying churchy words and we start saying things that we've just heard through the years, that's exactly how they feel. You know what they need? They need to see Jesus. They need you to say the word of God, to speak the gospel. They need to know that they're in sin. But they're not going to listen to you unless they know you love them. 
Oh, and it's a messy road. Evangelism is so messy. And it has its ups and downs. And you can be, you know, feeling very successful one day. And the next day, you just feel like a total failure because you just feel like you lost a friendship because you spoke the word of God. That's okay. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. I promise I'm throwing away that battery pack after the service. <laughs> that thing has a mind of its own. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Listen, the word of God. Listen, Romans 10, 17 through 18. So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So there it is. What do we do? We speak the message of Christ, but we don't want it to fall upon deaf ears. We want the person we're speaking to to know that we love them. And the only way that they know that we love them is if we have the characteristics of a Christian life and that we line up with the word of what we preach and that we show them we love them through our actions, which is very hard these days. Case in point, when we were in Oklahoma, doing this kind of ministry would have been fruitful and great five years ago, but today it's not. We walked up to, and we did have a successful day. We were able to talk to people. But the point is still the same. We walked to a splash, couple of splash parks and we talked to some families. And we were like, hey, we got this ice chest full of like icy pops and water. Can we give y'all some? And I think we handed out maybe one or two. Everyone else was like, no, I don't, I don't want what you have. I mean, can you blame them? In the world we live in, right, where children are being targeted and families are being destroyed. I mean, can you believe parents for not wanting a stranger to give them their kid an icy pop? It's a different world we live in. So what does that mean for us? It means we don't change the gospel message, but we try to find methods that work. In verse 18 in Romans 10, 17 through 18, it says, but I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voices going out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we must always thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. What's the truth? The Word. The Word of God. The Word of God conquers evil. The Word of God demolishes strongholds. The Word of God declares victory. The Word of God was alive. The Word of God is alive. And the Word of God is absolute. So the resolution. The resolution the early church made allowed for the widows to be cared for and for the preaching of the word of God to flourish, which meant the multiplication of many disciples. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't it a blessing to know that God has raised up a church family at Buffalo Baptist Church, raised each of us up with unique gifts to serve the body of Christ so that way there's never a need, and then the preaching and the teaching of those he's gifted to do that are able to do that and not tend to every single ministry that needs to tend to. Can, can we not see the point of this passage? Listen, the word of God, this is from David G. Peterson, and I thought he said it great, so I just quoted it for you. Quote, the word of God had free course among believers, and outsiders were able to witness its practical effect in a loving, united community, as well as hear its challenge from the lips of the apostles. 
So both aspects, the preaching of the word and the caring for the widows, they were both vital. They were both important. No one ministry is more important than the other. We all work in harmony. And listen, somebody say, check out verse 7. All right, I will. Let's go back to verse 7. We see a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Y'all, check this out. Who remembers the Sadducees? Raise your hand. Say it with me. Sadducees. The Sadducees were the high priestly group that detested the resurrection. They were the ones who stood Peter and John and said, hey, you better stop speaking the name of Christ, this resurrection from the dead. Otherwise, you're going to be held in contempt of court. These same priests are the ones that the Scripture is talking about. They became obedient to the faith. The ones who vehemently opposed Jesus, they were becoming obedient to the faith. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a blessing to read? Because what is the world to Christianity right now? Opposed, vehemently opposed. But we know that the word of God, the proclamation of the, of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God will set people free because of the message that is spoken. Not because of the mediator, not because of the spokesperson, but because of the actual word of God. This was proof of the power of the word of God. Religious priests of Judaism were demonstrating Christian belief and living the lifestyle it demands. Did you know that? Did you know that it takes more than just believe? Yeah, you can punch the ticket and go to heaven. Absolutely. You can walk up front. You can pray the prayer. You can, you can say, I'm with Jesus, and you can choose to live your life however you want. But let me leave you with this. A mediocre faith will get you a mediocre life. A mediocre faith will get you a mediocre life. You can punch the ticket. You can show up to the airport and go straight to heaven. You're good. There's more, though. There's more. There's way more. There's way more than just showing up to church on Sunday. There's way more than just checking the box and saying, I've done it. There's way more. And as a matter of fact, God actually commands it. That we are to go forward and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, I would hope that so many baptisms that we've been having at Buffalo Baptist Church would prove to you and the world that we're trying our best to do that. Repentance, turning away from our sin, trusting in the Lord, and following through with baptism is a command of God. Listen to this quote by Tony Campalo. Joy in Christ requires a commitment to working at the Christian lifestyle. Salvation comes as a gift, but the joy of salvation demands disciplined action. Listen, most Christians I know have just enough of the gospel to make them miserable, but not enough to make them joyful. They know enough about the biblical message to keep them from doing the things which the world tempts them to do, but they do not have enough of the commitment to God to do those things through which they might experience the fullness of this joy. Of this joy. Listen, we can punch the ticket and we can say, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus is my salvation. We can have someone knock on our door and when they say, hey, do you go to church? You can say, yeah, I've been going to church since I'm five. Or your response can be, yes, I know Jesus and he's given me joy and I rejoice at the fact that I'm his. 
As a matter of fact, do you have time to come in? We can share testimonies together about what God has done. I cannot count how many times I've shared the gospel with people and their response is, I've been going to church since I was a kid. That's disgraceful. The Holy Spirit, the transforming power of God lives inside of you. There needs to be a testimony of grace. There needs to be a testimony of power. But the question is, do we work hard enough to be disciplined to experience the joy? Because it takes work. It takes reading. It takes praying. It takes walking through those dry seasons of life when we don't know where God is. It takes us being faithful in those moments. The apostles preached the word, and the result was the multiplication of disciples in Jerusalem. Multiplication is always a good thing, y'all. Friends, we must make preaching the word prominent. Let's pray as we answer the Lord's expectation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your power. We thank you for your spirit. Father, we thank you just for your ability to sustain our worship service. Father, for you to still be present, for you to be moving in our midst. Lord, we know that your spirit is present, that you are all present, all knowing, and all powerful. And Father, we just praise you for that fact this morning. And, and Lord, I know that, that your word has been proclaimed. And Father, that there are hearts and minds that are thinking about the words they heard this morning, are thinking about the ways that the word of God needs to be preached and needs to be taught, and how ministries in the church need to be taken seriously. And every ministry needs to hinder upon the proclamation of your word because it's what is important, Father. The needs that need to be met are met because of the understanding of your word. Therefore, it needs to be preached with authority. It needs to be proclaimed with love because only can we meet the needs of those around us if we understand what true needs are. And Father, I just pray that there would be no complaint of preference or opinion, but that there would be sharing humbly of concerns with one another and to, to those in leadership, to those who make decisions to make changes. Father, let us be the church that rises up and serves. Let us be the church that rises up and does what you've called us to do. And Father, you've called us to be unified in your spirit. You've called us to evangelize. And Father, I am convinced that if we as a church focus upon evangelism and sharing our faith, there's not much to complain about because we're focused on you. So help us do that this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So since there was a multiplication of disciples in direct response to preaching of God's word, what should be and take priority in our ministry? What should be the one thing that takes prominent upon all other things? The preaching and the proclamation of the word of God is important. Without biblical preaching and proclamation, other ministries suffer. So it has to start. So when we come to church on Sunday morning, we need to walk through those doors, no matter what's going on in our life, and expect God to speak to us. Because his mighty word is going to be opened. And friends, that should be enough for us today. It should. The very preaching of the Word of God changes us. It's the preaching of the living Word of God that lives are changed. It's the preaching of the Word that situations change. It's the preaching of the Word that leaders rise up in our congregation. 
It's the preaching of the word that souls are set ablaze for the will of God. It's the preaching of the word that the Holy Spirit unites us and sends us to evangelize. Now, invitation, as you know, invitation changes each week because the application of the word changes each week. So I want you to understand that these invitations I give you are in direct response to the central point in the passage I preach. It's not what I feel like doing. It's not what I think you want to do. It's in direct response to the study and the preparation of the word in the preaching this morning. So the response and the invitation is that we would remain in our seats during the invitation song. And that we would, guys, listen, don't let anyone be alone, okay? If there's someone by you who's not with anyone, invite them to pray with you, okay? No one's alone this morning. You don't have to pray, but if you feel us so led to pray, can we pray specifically for this this morning? Pray for God to reveal his glory to us through the preaching of his word. Pray for God to reveal his glory to us through the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we bless you. And we're so grateful for you. We are so grateful for Jesus died on the cross for us that he's given us new life. And Father, we know that we live in a broken world. And Father, Satan has been attacking the church for years now. And we're beginning to see more and more preaching and more and more proclamation coming from an opinionated standpoint, coming from a standpoint of of good speaking. But Father, we just pray for the proclamation of your word to be biblically centered, unashamed of what your word says in truth, and that we would center our whole ministry on that alone. Because Father, if we get your word right, if we preach your word the right way, if we can see what your word is telling us in the proper context, we can get as close to the meaning as possible. We can start aligning our lives and our ministries with your mission and your vision. And Father, I pray that you would bless this time of prayer that we have together. It's in your name I pray.